Just suppose God searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed that would buy eternal life for you and me. not been for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be so glad he was willing to drink his bitter cup although he prayed father let it pass from me and i'm so glad he didn't call heaven's angels from these hands pull the nails that torment me had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be been for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost, then forever would be lost. Amen. <clears throat> well, that's good. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Family worship, infecting the family for God. We're dealing with being in the Word of God and just uh, making a difference in our homes by worshiping in our homes as a family. And today, I want to start addressing another topic. I want to start looking at this idea of some benefits of family worship. What are some of the benefits of family worship? And um, so tonight, we're going to start that. Well, before we do, let's read Deuteronomy chapter 6, because that's kind of our, our, our key verses. Those are our, our series verses. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. 
And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as fauntlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Again, as we've noted all throughout the series, I mean, family worship is not something new. It hasn't just come on the scene. It's not something that's contemporary. It's something that has been traditional. It's something that's biblical. It's, It's scriptural. And we've seen through years and years and years of history that people, believers in Jesus Christ, have taken the time to have family worship. And, and we noted how important it is, how significant and how necessary it is. I began looking up some things on the family this week, and I thought I would just uh, kind of get an idea of some things that the world thought were important to families. I saw the question, how can I make my family strong? How can I make my family strong? And so I thought, well, I'll take a look at that. It said, it said give me a couple, it gave me five things. It said, our society thrives on strong families. Well, I knew that already, and that's kind of crazy. The question was, how can I make my family strong? And they said that. So anyway, that's all right. That was the first one. Then it said, strong families have good communication. It goes on to say, to build strong family relationships, listen actively to each other. Then number four was, use I messages rather than you messages when talking. Number five said, encourage all family members to share their thoughts and feelings. All right, so that's one way. There's some things to make a family strong. I also started looking some things up. I was, I was the same kind of list. I was looking at it, and it said, here are six fun ways to bring your family together. Write notes to each other. Bring a smile to the beautiful faces of everyone in your family by reminding them how much you care. Number two, cook and bake together. We're having a picnic tomorrow. My wife reminded me that uh, I get to help her prepare. I don't normally do that. I think she's going to regret that. But anyway, number three, it said, eat dinner as a family. Number four, create rituals and traditions. Five, support each other. Six, everyone has a voice, so listen to it. And so those were six fun ways to bring the family together. I then read this, you know, it's the question, what is the key to, to a happy family life? What's the key to a happy family life? Well, what does the world say? Well, this is what I read. There isn't a key. You have to take care of a family like you take care of anything. Needs the right ingredients, the right processes, and the right times and amounts of time. They say money doesn't buy happiness, but I say, the writer, it makes it easier to deal with life and find happiness. (laughs) I thought that was great. Now listen. The truth is, is that if you and I would apply some of these suggestions to our our marriages, our families, and our lives, they would benefit our families. There's no doubt about that. There's some good suggestions in here. And these are the kind of suggestions that I received on the internet and and just in general. These weren't Christian sites. It was just, you know, the Google searches and things like that. And I just saw some of these and thought I would list them. But they would help. They would benefit us if we would apply some of these. Matter of fact, a lot of these suggestions are rooted in biblical truth. The world does a lot of, 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 of stealing God's ideas and just kind of putting a new twist to them, you know. I'd say, however, this, that each neglects to recognize the element that produces the greatest amount of benefit to any family, though. You know what that is? It's faith in Christ. 
I didn't see anybody talking about the, their faith in Christ. I, didn't, I mean, you talk about how can I make my family strong. Nobody mentioned faith in Christ. Six ways to bring your family together. Nobody mentioned faith in Christ or, or the house of God or serving the Lord together. No, what, what's the key to a happy family life? Nobody mentioned faith in Christ. Nobody talked about the need to worship the Lord Jesus. But I can tell you that there's tremendous benefit in doing so. The heathen and the backslidden Christian are welcome to debate the benefit of faith in the home if they like. But for the saved and lost alike, there can be no better emphasis in the home than to focus our attention, the attention of every single member of the family, on that of its creator and the love letter in which he left us. Arthur Pink, he, he's a writer and you know, some would call him a biblical scholar, but Arthur Pink, he, he decided to write something in lieu of the family. And during the course of this, uh, this, this letter he wrote or, or paper that he wrote, he, he wrote these words as well. And I think they're, they're really important to listen to because they, they don't necessarily address the positive side. They, they address somewhat of a negative side. In contrast... He he goes on to say it this way. He says, on the other hand, we may observe what fearful threatenings are pronounced against those who disregard this duty. He's talking about family devotions. He says, we wonder how many of our readers have seriously pondered these awe-inspiring words. And they're scriptural words. Here they are. Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know not thee, and upon the families that call not on thy name, Jeremiah 10, 25. How unspeakably solemn to find that prayerless, that pro, to find, he says, that prayerless families are here coupled with the heathen that know not the Lord. Yet, need that surprise us? Why, there are many heathen families who unite together in worshiping their false gods. And do not they put thousands of professing Christians to shame? Observe, too, that Jeremiah 10.25 recorded a fearful, he says, imprecations, which means curses, upon both classes alike. Pour out thy fury upon. How loudly should these words speak to us, he says. He's talking about this passage, of course, in Jeremiah 10.25. Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not and upon the families that call not on thy name. And he says, listen, we better be real careful as believers. We better make sure that we're calling on the name of the Lord. Boy, the heathen may not be calling on the name of the Lord, but how ridiculous would it be for us not to do so? And furthermore, there are curses that are attached to and tied to those families who fail to make worship in the home a priority. So what are some of the benefits of family worship? We, we know that not to perform family worship is not good at all. According to Jeremiah 10.25, it brings curses to our family. However, what's the benefit of family worship then? Well, I want to give you five different things, and I doubt we'll get to all of them, but let's start at least today. I want to give you some benefits of family worship. So I'm going to have a word of prayer, and we'll get things moving today. Father, bless this service. Bless the message. Help us, Father, just to learn what you'd have for us. 
May you speak to our hearts through this simple truths. Lord, we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, family worship. What's the benefit? Number one, they spell out your priorities. Family worship will help you to spell out your priorities. You know, as you faithfully make family worship a priority in your home, it's going to become abundantly clear what and who is a priority in your life. I mean, it's just simple. I mean, you can't spend time opening the Bible. You can't spend time worshiping the Lord in the home and leading your family in that worship and it not reveal what's important to you, what's a priority to you. You know, we've talked about it already, but there's that statement, more is caught than taught. And it is going to be what you do that defines and determines what your children and family recognize as being important to you. According to Children's Bureau, a nonprofit group that advocates on behalf of vulnerable children, they stated in an article I read, learning comes in many forms. Sometimes children learn by being told something directly. However, the most common way children learn is by observation of everyday life. A child's learning and socialization are most influenced by their family since the family is the child's primary social group. Boy, think about the responsibility that you and I have as, as heads of our homes, as leaders in our homes, moms and dads, laying down the foundation for our children's lives, providing the right, right uh, environment for our children, the right socialization, all of those things it's talking about. The fact is, is that our children become, as we mentioned already, who we are. It will not be our hollow words, but our consistent actions that speak the loudest then. See, when family worship is faithfully conducted, when, when family worship is, is spent in the Word of God and meeting with the Master, we are literally saying to our children some things. Here's what we're saying. Number one, the Word of God is important to me as a person and to us as a family. When I take the time to sit down with my kids and my wife or my family, and I say, okay, we're going to open this book, we're going to read some scripture, and we're going to take some time to dig into the Bible, even though it might just be a short time. It doesn't have to be a half hour, 45 minutes or an hour. I'm talking about just taking the time to open the Bible up. You may only read a verse or two. Maybe you make just a few comments. Possibly you enact a, a reenact a story or something. I don't know. There's all kind of things. In one of these uh, lessons, we'll talk about just some different, uh, some different ideas of how to incorporate family worship and how to do it in a fun way and maybe a way that's a little less, you know, drudgery for the kids from time to time. But the fact is, is that just to open the Bible up consistently says to them, guess what? That book is important to me. Guess what? The author's important to me. And if it's important to me, guess what too? It's important to our family. Not only that, but when we look at family worship, and we're performing it, and we are conducting it consistently, it's going to say prayer is a privilege. I mean, when you have family worship, you're going to be praying at some point, and you begin to teach your children that prayer is not just something you do when you're in trouble. Prayer is something you get to do, not something you have to do. And so prayer is a privilege now. 
Our children are learning that we as leaders in the home, we as adults, and we who have already grown up into maturity, that that prayer is still important for us. It's not just something you do in Sunday school. It's not just something the pastor does. It's something that we do at home, and it's something that adults do that love Jesus. It's a privilege to pray. Number three, it says our faith is a priority. Our faith is a priority. You know, we have a lot of priorities in our life. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you know, our children are priorities. Our spouses are priorities. Our jobs are priorities. Our schooling is a priority. There's a lot of priorities in our life. But see, when it comes to the Lord, sometimes if we're not careful, he can get a little bit kind of on the outs. He can kind of get put on the back burner. Sometimes he's kind of over... Uh, overshadowed by everything else in our life. But when we'll take the time to meet with our family consistently and regularly, when, if we'll open the Bible up and, and we'll say, let's read a scripture, let's talk a little bit about what God has to say and let's go ahead and make that a priority and let's go ahead and set everything else aside and, and take the time to draw our attention to him and his word, it says our faith is a priority now. It's not just a, a, something we do from time to time. It's not just when it's convenient or when the church doors are open, but faith matters to us every day or at least as often as it possibly can in our lives. We come together and the kids know that it's not just in church, but it's outside of church and that mom and dad's faith, well, it's pretty important to them because they don't just leave it at church. They bring it home with them. Number four, if we'll again do family worship and be consistent with it and, and constantly meeting with the master. Our relationship with God is vital. It's telling them our relationship with God is vital. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, you know, this idea of church and our faith kind of gets put into a little box and, 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 and the kids look at it like, like well, of, of course, the faith is going to church. The faith is reading the Bible. The faith is Praying, the faith is uh, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But hold on. What's lost sometimes is the relationship between us and Christ. What they see is mom and dad actively involved in church. And, and they'll think, if they're not careful, that that's what faith is, being involved in church. That our faith is really just um, visibly acting out some commands of Scripture and that that's how you do it. So if you, you, your faith is important to you, your faith is important, uh, mom and dad, we get all that. But you know what? They also need to know that our relationship with God is vital. See, when you open a Bible up in your home and your children see you reading the Bible when you don't have to, when you're not teaching a lesson or you're not just sitting listening to the pastor, then it says something about your relationship. See, when your children watch you and your wife or they see you and your husband interacting and sharing together and smiling together, laughing together and doing things together, talking and so forth, they say, wow, now, you know, that's a good relationship. That's, that's them interacting. Children learn about a relationship. Guess what? When you are interacting with God regularly, consistently in family worship, they see that that relationship's still important for mom and dad and they learn how to relate to God. Boy, I'll tell you, when we are, you know, conducting our family worship and we're giving time to the Word of God and meeting with the Master, we're saying that the Word of God is important to me as a person and to us as a family. Prayer is a privilege. Our faith is a priority. 
Our relationship with God is vital. And finally, this is what we do. Number five, this is just what we do. Now, there needs to be some things in your home where it's just, this is what we do. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, at night before the kids go to bed, possibly, they've been outside playing all day. They come on in and mom says, jump in the the bathtub or jump in the shower. And the kid's like, oh, come on. Hey, this is what we do around here. There's just some some things you do. They learn to don't argue about it because it's going to get done one way or the other. It's just what we do in our house. And you know what? At some point, if you'll be consistent with family worship, the children, the wife, and everybody just goes, well, that's just what we do. It's no longer a battle. There's no longer fighting about it. People aren't going, oh, it's just what we do. Hey, we're Christians. And Christian moms and dads have family altars and family worship and family devotion. Those are all the same thing, by the way. That's what we do. That's a good thing. See, family worship is faith in action. It reminds your family what and who is a priority to you. It addresses, another thing that it'll do, it'll, it'll enable you to address issues of significance. And it ought to. When you open that book up in front of your family day in and day out, you should be addressing and dealing with some significant issues. Things like attitude. What kind of attitude should your children have? What kind of attitude should we as leaders have? What kind of attitude should a believer have? Those are things that our children need to hear and need to see, and and we need to live it in front of them then too, though. But I mean, that's an important stuff. More than, I'll tell you what, more important to me than what my kids did was why they did what they did. I wanted a good attitude. I mean, they may make mistakes and they may mess up. They may even do things wrong, but I'll tell you what, their attitude in it makes all the difference. And you know what? We need to teach our children the right attitudes. Their actions, of course. What's right and wrong? What's good and bad? Respect. Boy, family worship ought to address issues of respect. How do you show respect to your elders? How do you show respect to your parents? How do you show respect to God? How do you show respect to your pastor? I mean, just all of those things. Family worship isn't just necessarily taking an old dusty book, wiping it off, reading a verse and going, well, thus saith the Lord, let's pray, amen. No, it's taking the principles that are in the book and bringing them alive and applying them to our lives so that we can become better all around Listen, all you have to do is watch a sporting event, take a basketball player. Listen, the players that are, are most sought after, the players that are most uh, uh, desired on a team are the ones that are, that are able to do more things, that are diversified, that are more well-rounded, if you will. They're able to shoot and dribble and run and jump. The ones that can do everything on the basketball court, those are the players you really want on your team. You say, well, this guy, he can really shoot free throws, but he can't run. Well, he's not going to be too well on the basketball court. He's going to hurt you in the long run. Hey, Christians, they get good in only one area. Christians that only embrace one area, that's not being well-rounded, and that's not going to enable God to use them as mightily as he'd like to. That's not going to make them able to interrelate with other people the way they should. Listen, believers have to be able to connect with people, and they have to be able to communicate with people. They need to be well-rounded. They need to know a little bit about attitude. They need to know about respect. They need to know about how to live and what to do. They need to be learning about discipline in their life. What about dating? 
These are important things. You say, well, I don't believe in dating. I believe in, hey, then you teach them. You believe in courting. Then court them. Teach them how to do it then. But whatever you're going to do as a parent, then you ought to be teaching it, laying the foundation for your kids. And you ought to be able to take, your, take them to the Word of God and show them from the Bible why we do what we do. And this is important, and God believes that this is what we should do. Man, I'm telling you, just those are important issues. You won't have to fight the battles if you lay the foundation. Things like relationships and character and integrity. Those are issues that need to come up in the course of a family, a family worship. Now, they don't come up all in one day. But throughout the course of their life, they're going to run into it. And we're going to be running into contact with it from time to time. When I was a kid, we used to like, they, they had pinball machines. Man, I tell you what, I like pinball machines. They was one of my favorites. I remember as a, as a young person, you know, I'd go down to the click store down there not too far from the school and I'd play some pinball. You'd put a quarter in the, a, a, the pinball machine and you could play pinball for a long time if you got good at it. You know what? The funny thing was that ball never hit the same place twice that often. It bounced all over the place. It ended up everywhere. Every once in a while, it'd come down, it'd hit this, this bumper over here, but it didn't hit at the exact same place on the bumper a lot of times. It would hit in different places. You try to get good with those little flippers. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but the flippers would flip out like that, and they'd hit the ball back up. You'd try to get to go right to the same spot every time so that you could get a lot of points. But you didn't hit the same spot all the time. It seemed like it went everywhere. Guess what? Family worship's a little like that. You, I mean, you do want to try to hit the target all, from time to time, but you'll be amazed what comes up during the course of family worship. And you'll be amazed how you can address and deal with, really, some serious topics with your children that, as I said before, will lay a foundation in which they'll already have an idea where you stand and where you're going to fall on that thing. Hey, how do you teach, how, do you, how should a child love their mom and dad? How should they love another boy or girl? How should they love their, their, brother, their brothers and sisters? How should they love their, their cousins and their nieces and nephews and all of that stuff? How should they do that stuff? Where do they learn those things? Boy, that's, this is a good place, the Word of God, in family worship. You're, you're teaching them things like principles and proverbs, God himself and doctrinal issues. Those all pop up even in family worship. Listen, family worship should address issues of significance. They spell out our priorities. If any of these things are important to you, then you need to make them important in your family worship. Family worship's a time to express what's important to you and what's expected of you, or, or expected by you, I should say. And we'll talk a little more about that later, but Again, it's a time that will define our position on topics. It'll define where we stand on issues that our family will face. And as you purposely address issues, you consistently respond to them. You know what's going to happen? Your family is going to grow to respect you. You know, men are like, I don't know why, but my wife doesn't respect me. My kids don't seem to respect me. Can't earn that respect then. Get in the book and learn something about the Bible. Figure out what you actually believe about life and issues in life. Go ahead and be a leader to your family in truth. Begin to lay down some truths from the Word of God and express where you stand and why you stand there. 
You'll be amazed how your wife and your children will say, wow, I don't always agree with daddy, but I respect him. He knows where he stands. And he don't stand alone. He stands with God. Children ought to know where their parents stand on issues. And they ought to know how we're going to respond in any given situation before it even arises. And you know what? That response ought to be biblical. So first of all, what's one of the benefits of family worship? Well, family worship, one of its benefits is that they spell out your priorities. These these times of family worship will spell out your priorities. Number two, they promote unity. They promote unity. This is a time, these family worship times, this devotional time that you have with your family, it's going to build a platform of communication between you and them. It's going to give you an opportunity to control the conversation, to direct conversation, to have conversation. See, that conversation and communication is going to stimulate dialogue. And that dialogue will ultimately promote unity. Now, I know in some cases I've talked to family members, whether they be ladies or men who were trying to take this area and apply it to their lives and their families, and they'll say, listen, when we get to talking about these issues, it causes great division. You know what? There's only division if we're not in agreement that the Word of God is true. And second, you as a leader, whoever's running this thing, better know what the Bible teaches and says. Now, there are things that are simple in the Bible. Some things are so commonsensical, so simple, and the Bible just flat out says it. There is no need to argue with a child. There's no need to argue with a spouse about what the Bible says. If the Bible says it, that settles it. It's simple. Don't get in debates and arguments necessarily about what the Bible says. Now, there's going to be some differing opinions on how it's applied to our lives. That's okay. And you know what? That's good conversation. If we can keep our pride out of the situation and we can address that issue and listen to what someone says, hold on. When it's all said and done, though, you have to bring it right back to the Bible and what the Bible says, and that settles it. But you're going to find that truly this communication, this, when you take your children and you begin to share with them, they're going to open up about some things from time to time. And that communication is going to build a dialogue. And that dialogue will give you an opportunity to build unity in the home. You'll build trust between you and your children. They'll recognize that they can talk to you about things and you're not going to blow up. You're not going to always get angry. You're not going to tell them they're dumb. You're just going to say, guess what? Good going. That's a great thought. Let's give that some consideration. What's the Bible say about that? Herman Edwards is the former player and a a former analyst, and he is the current coach of Arizona State. He's coached for the New York Jets as well as the um, Kansas City Chiefs in the past as well. When it comes to his thoughts on teamwork, he made this statement. He said, the players that play on this football team will play for the name on the side of the helmet and not the name on the back of the jersey. See, in football, a lot of times, in the pros at least, there's the name of the player on the back of the jersey. But he says, we're not going to play for the name on the back of the jersey. We're going to play for the name on the side of the helmet. That's called the team. The team. 
Each member of the family has to care about the next. And each has to contribute to the success of the family and its name. We're going to teach our children that the family name is more important than their name. These young people need to understand and children need to learn very early on that their name is important. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 22, 1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. The fact is, is that my family name, the O'Donnell name means something, or it ought to, and it should be something that is positive and productive. People hear the name, there ought to be respect, there ought to be an element of integrity that's attached to it. And as my children begin to age and grow up and they walk out that door, whether it's to Sunday school in the afternoons, uh, Sunday school in the morning on Sunday, or to school throughout the week, or to a job ultimately as a teenager, that name carries some weight. That name's important. Not their first name, but the family name. And you'll find that even in the midst of this element of family worship, you, you kind of develop a sense of camaraderie. There's a sense of team. There's a sense of togetherness, of unity that's promoted there. We come together as a family. We worship as a family. We learn about God as a family. And the truths and the principles of God are ours as a family. That's good stuff right there. Bringing the family together is very important and will yield many dividends along the way. In the book of Psalm, chapter 133, verse 1, the Bible says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Can I tell you, if it's good for brethren to dwell together in unity, how much better is it for family to dwell together in unity? Those that you have to literally live with every day. You know, in the past, it was quite normal for families to sit around the dining t- uh, room table conversing with, uh, over, over dinner or over lunch. You know, mom and dad would talk about all sorts of things. And, you know, in the day, it seemed the children pretty much just listened and they learned about life. You know, and again, I, I'm not being critical or negative. I, I think that we need to listen to our children, but it's good sometimes when you're the one that's younger to learn and listen to those that have lived some life. And I still remember hearing my parents talk quite a bit around the table. I remember listening to others. If they would have someone over the house, I'd come into the living room, and I just always wanted to hear what somebody was saying. Very early on in my life, I had a desire to understand what people, uh, how they felt and what they believed and where they stood. And I learned early on that when adults are around as a kid, you listen because they've got the wisdom and you need to learn. Boy, I took that to heart. I didn't always listen like I ought to, and I didn't learn the lessons I should have sometimes, but I did learn that I need to listen. I knew what I should have been doing, and I knew what was truly profitable, and in most cases, I did. Now, again, mom and dad around that table would talk about all sorts of things, and the children would listen and learn about life. Opinions, attitudes, and perspectives were shared, leaving little doubt where mom and dad stood on a particular topic. I mean, my dad, if you knew my dad, and you do, many of you, uh, he, he's going to tell you how he thinks and what he feels. It's, there's no secrets. I mean, he's just going to lay it out there. As he would say, he's going to take off the gloves. And, you know, he's, he's going to give it to you where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. But you know what? Growing up, that's a great place to be as a kid. You know exactly where dad stands. 
And you know where mom stands. Those days seem to be gone in many homes in America today. More than we'd like to admit, the family sits down around the television set and listens to the prevailing views and attitudes of the world. Instead of our children receiving our views and our opinions, they're bombarded with the views and opinions of those that we may not even approve of. As a matter of fact, we may be allowing them to watch and listen to programming that literally undermines our credibility and our authority in their life. Can I just encourage it by saying that television is not a good babysitter? It's not a good babysitter. Someone may argue that they want their children exposed to a variety of views and opinions so that they can make up their own mind where they stand on the issues. You know, that may seem all well and good. However, there must be a sturdy framework of moral and ethical principles instilled into the life of our children by which they can evaluate and assess information. Otherwise, the opposite response will occur. Instead of them coming to a conclusion on what they believe, they will simply be led into believing what someone else wants them to believe. See, when there are no, when there are no non-negotiables that have been established in their lives or our lives, then the most recent theory, presupposition, or view becomes their measuring tape for right and wrong. All of a sudden, the result is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. If you have your Bible, you can look at it. But it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the, in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Watch why. Why is this important? Why is this foundation important? Why is this this, this uh, uh, um this foundation required and necessary in our lives, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Did you get that? This idea that our children need to be exposed to all of these differing opinions, philosophies, ideas, I tell you that that is not necessarily positive, but can most often be very negative. And, and again, I, I'm not opposed to some child learning new things, but be careful what they're learning and who they're learning it from. Because if they don't learn the right things and they don't lay this non-negotiable foundation of truth in their life, then every single Thing, every single doctrine, if you will, every single philosophy or theory or thought that comes across, they'll be swayed this way to believe, well, that's got to be the truth. Or they'll be swayed this way to believe, that's got to be the truth. Well, that changed how I stood and where I stand. Uh, no, we shouldn't be tossed to and fro with every wind and wave of doctrine. See, I'm concerned about all this independent and free-thinking philosophy. 
I believe it's creating a generation of double-minded men and women, and that equals nothing but instability. In James chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If we are not laying a foundation of non-negotiables, if we're not laying a foundation of truth based on biblical fact, if you will, then I'm telling you that with every changing more, there's going to be a changing position. That creates instability in the lives of our children. What every boy and girl needs in their life is a general consensus of right and wrong. A child cannot evaluate life issues properly if they lack the education experience needed to land on their feet. Family worship will provide your child with a moral and ethical foundation and a compass that will instill a sense of belonging and unity in the home and provide them with the tools to assess and to evaluate every belief and every practice that they will be confronted with in the world. You, they need this. Family worship's important. It brings unity in the home. It promotes unity. But it also provides these children with the foundation, the moral foundation that they need to make the right decisions in the long run. True unity is found in commonality. You know, the idea that we can all believe differently and still get along isn't really that true. I, listen, we say, well, we agree to disagree, and we can do so. But if you want true unity, it comes in commonality. You say, I don't believe that. Well, Amos 3.3 asks the question, can two walk together except they be agreed? You know what the answer is in the Bible? No. See, that's why it's important that our children learn why we believe what we believe and what we believe. They need to be able to identify truth because they're going to be confronted with a lot of things that aren't true. They're going to be tempted to be with young people and other children and uh, families that aren't believe, that don't believe the way we believe or the way you believe. Listen, I don't necessarily want my young child that's uh, nine years old to go to a house and watch R-rated movies when I'm not around. I don't let them watch those in my home. They're not going to watch them there. I don't watch PG movies with my kids. I don't watch PG movies. Do you know how frustrating it is to get on Netflix and not watch a PG movie? Uh, no, PG-13 movie, excuse me. I do watch some PGs because I'm, I'm a parent. It's parental guidance. But PG-13, have you ever tried to get on there and watch a show that isn't PG-13? I mean, yeah, you got to, and they don't even have filters on that thing to where you can cut out all the PG-13s, all the R's. At least I've never found them yet. And if they do, then write it down and send it to me in a letter or something. Because I would love to just get rid of all those right off the bat. but I don't want my children to want to watch those either. We're going to teach them in family worship. We're going to tell them about those things. We're going to tell them why we don't watch those things, why we don't listen to certain things, why we don't uh, address or go certain places and all of that, why, why we do need to be careful. 
why we do separate ourselves from some things. I believe in separation because the Bible teaches it, not because I, I, I'm, I'm so scared of falling into sin all the time, although that's a good reason too from time to time. But let me tell you something. If I'll just obey the biblical truth to separate, it saves us or protects us from those temptations too. And our children need to know that. By the way, I'm a dad, and I'm a husband, and I'm a man, and I'm a preacher, but you know what, I else, what else I am? I'm flesh. So I want to teach my kids some things. I want to help them because I know I need some help. Families are more divided and dysfunctional than ever. And, and why is that the case? Someone may say, well, that's, rebellion is at the root of all conflict. And I'd have to say, well, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, the flesh is certainly the culprit. However, consider how many different people have the ear of your child and your teen these days. Before there's rebellion, there's influence. I want, I want, let's get to the, the before the rebellion, you know what I mean? Let's try to nip it. I think it's nip it in the bud. You got to be careful of that. I used to always say the other word. Maybe it is the other word. I don't know. But either way, I'm trying to be politically correct as well as pastorally correct. Nonetheless, you, let's get to the nitty-gritty. You know what it is? Influence. Our children's young hearts are tender, and they are quickly swayed and easily captured. Limit the voices in the life of your child and increase your chances of gaining their heart. You know, when we expose our children to the many voices in the world, there's a chance that they're going to give their heart to someone other than us. And that means we may observe ways, excuse me, they may observe ways that we don't approve of. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 23, 26, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. See, the passage points out the fact that before we can expect them to observe our ways, we have to possess the heart of our child. We need to gain their heart, then their ways will fall into place. They'll follow our ways. Whoever has their heart is who they will follow. I'll tell you what, unity in the home is brought, family devotions bring unity. It's important. I tell you, spend time in the book. Spend time meeting with the master consistently with your family. It will, it, it's, it's going to promote unity. Family worship brings the family together and it provides an opportunity to expose error and point out biblical truth and practice. See, division in the home for the most part could have been avoided if only it had been discussed and dealt with ahead of time. So many of the things that you can address and deal with in your family worship will help to detour the potential dangers down the road. Family worship will endorse truth, encourage unity, and exalt your values and your ways. I wanted my children to walk like I walked. I wanted that. I wanted my daughters to be like my wife. I wanted my sons to be like me. I wanted our children to embrace our God, our, fam our, our family values, our personal morals. 
I wanted them to embrace the word of God and to love Jesus and to want to please the master and to just enjoy the Lord. I wanted that for my kids. That's what I had. That's what I want them to have. My ways. Family worship will endorse truth, encourage unity, and exalt your values and your ways in the eyes of your family. I want to encourage you. There's just two today. But just think about some of the benefits of family worship. One, they spell out your priorities. And two, they promote unity 